Welcome to Everything Dog Training with me, John McGuigan. Our goal is to bring you information on dog training methods which work and are kind, cutting through the myth and the folklore to help you have a better behaved, happier, emotionally healthier dog who is a joy to be around. Massive thanks for joining us again today. I'm going to split this uh, podcast into two parts and it was just because of the length of the episodes. So generally try and keep the um, episodes between 25 and 45 minutes and it's just for ease of consumption. And Ennis and I uh, got chatting and still didn't cover everything that we wanted to cover, uh, but we had a, a really good chat. Um, Ennis is a, a very good friend of mine and uh, I've known him now for about four and a half or five years and he started off as a client with his Doberman Kuro who he will talk at length uh, about today and uh, Innes is uh, a good human and uh, one of my favorite people to hang out with um, he's just a, an all-round really good guy and this has been one of the best podcast episodes which I have Recorded so far, and I know that we're in our infancy. We're only this is only episodes nine, uh, nine or ten with this one, uh, so I know that we're very early days yet. But um, it's just to hear how genuine Ennis is when he's recounting his experiences with both these dogs, but especially with Kuro, and uh, just a, a just a really lovely uh, conversation I had with him, um, and. Yeah, yeah. So I hope that you you like it, and uh, please do let me know your feedback on it. Um, if you email me info at glasgowdogtrainer.co.uk, if you get any feedback, any suggestions for f- future podcast episodes, uh, I'm going to do an ask me anything in the future, and I'll do my best to answer the questions. So we'll get that uh, up and running. And uh, yeah, so. Let me know what you think, and I hope you enjoy it. Right, thanks, Ennis. Thanks for joining us this morning. So we've been trying to get this on the go for a while, but um, just schedules. How you doing? Yeah, good, and thanks for the opportunity to do this. I was kind of surprised when you asked me, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Right, so this will be interesting for folk to wonder how much people will be able to understand what we're both saying. So I think they'll understand you easier than me. Well, I don't know. I think that could be 50-50. The West Coast's another strong accent as well. Right. I'm trying okay, to so tone myself down and go slowly for the for the listeners. You're, in, you're from Campbelltown. So where is Campbelltown in relation to Glasgow? Campbelltown, it's away in the west coast of Scotland. It's kind of made famous by Paul McCartney. He wrote the song about it, the Mullock yeah. Tire. Yeah. So it's just sort of down that way. It's right at the very tip. And a clear day, you, it's that far over, you can see across to Ireland. Oh, stunning, wow. absolutely stunning place. When you're standing in the Mull on a beautiful day, you, you can see right over to Ireland. And then you see all the tides meeting. There's like seven different tides coming in. So you see all the whirlpools and the sea, oh, nice. it's, it's it's glorious. And then over to the left, when I grew up, that's where we had our caravan. You, you never used to go away uh-huh. holidays abroad so often when I was young. My mum had like four kids. So we went to the caravan and down there for weeks every year. And my, my dad's had a wee fishing boat. 
just for like crabs, lobsters, stuff like that. So we used to go out and do that and what a childhood. You maybe never appreciated it as much as I should have. I know. But you know, when you're young, you're, but no, what a way. And it's a stunning bit of the country. You should Somebody should definitely visit down there. It's gorgeous. I actually looked at it in the map recently and um, it's interesting because we think that it's, because it's a joint to get there no matter which way you go from Glasgow, isn't it? Yes, I, the road is the road is just ridiculous in bits. It's a lot better than it used to be, but it's your traditional old Scottish road. The Rest and Be Thankful is one of the, the routes on the way down there. Yeah. And that's why it's called the Rest and Be Thankful, because people used to stop at the top of the hill and sort of be thankful for <laughs> getting to the top and enjoy the views. But it's genuinely one of my favourite bits of Scotland, because that bit down there is called the Aracher Alps. Yeah, that's right. And th that's where I go climbing up, well, not climbing more, you know, just out right. with the dogs and up yeah. the hills. Stay away from the more popular ones and then the dog can get more freedom. Right. You know, you can get to run about. But no, Campbelltown's a lovely wee place and the people are very friendly, but uh, everybody knows your business, <laughs> which isn't a bad thing, you know. But uh, but no, it was like a, an awesome place to grow up. No knife crime, no really any fighting. Just, you know, just an awesome place to grow up when you were younger. But the city, the city called. I had to give that perspective for folk listening to that. So when you're saying no knife crime, right? So Glasgow doesn't have much, much knife crime anymore. Not for the last 10 or 12, 14 years or something like that. It started changing. Um, but it was hideous and notorious for knife crime when we were young. You know, yeah. um, so it's interesting that you say that. I always think that we have to give perspective on that, or folk like that. Why would you mention that? <laughs> you know? It's more, it's because I live in the city now. And I was in the country and it's the media again. You know, they portrayed Glasgow. I mean, I, I live in Govan in Glasgow, as yeah. you'll know yourself. It's a, it's a really nice area. They will. It's not get the best name years ago, but it's getting changed now. Yeah. But since I've been in here about 14 years and the people are so friendly, I've right. had never had any hassle. Glasgow now, it feels like my second home. Campbelltown will always be my home, but I just more meant with Campbelltown, you're more growing up around sheep oh, and cows and stuff <laughs> like that, you know. But it's coming to the city and then I meet people from the city. Some of them haven't even been to the country. You know, which totally amazes me. You know, I, you know, but no, I mean, I'm more a city boy now. I yeah. love the city. Yeah, cool, awesome. And it's it's further south than Glasgow as well, actually. Yeah, because that's a kind of debate we have sometimes with people. You're going up to Campbelltown, but it's because you need to go up, up and then to then the go further down. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Right. So we're going to talk about both your dogs today. Um. So just. Tell us a bit about, right, so we met, when would that have been? So how, when when did you Five and a half, six years ago. Aye, Got so Kuro in 2014. Yeah. Uh, December, December of 2014. Uh, the Doberman, so it was my very first dog of my own. I'd always wanted one, but with moving away from home to the city, just couldn't do it. I had to earn money. I had to get a decent job and earn good money. So with the hours I was working in my job, it was just never a possibility of getting a dog. But then uh, stuff happens in life and things change. I, my mum had says to me, why are you working so much, son? Your life has just become about working. So that was when that started the, the ball rolling in my head. 
because usually my mum or your mum, MD's mum, you're not working enough. You need to get, you know, and do more. So that was what. And then had some stuff happened in my life as well and just needed, basically just needed a change. I wanted a new start, a new beginning. And uh, always loved Dobermans. Uh, just think they've always had a bad press because nobody wants to know the good side of Dobermans. That doesn't fit anything. So not got my first Doberman Kuro at eight weeks old and God, I've not turned back since then. It's been such a an up and down at the very start because we dog with a dog when I was younger, but now I realise that yeah, it was my dad that trained up. We were quite lucky. We lived in a cottage near a farm, so my dad sort of worked on and off, and he was a working dog. So you, you can vision he was just amazing, you know. I mean, I'll not lie; I don't have the biggest memories of him because of my age, but you remember the good things. I'm lucky that I remember the good things. Um, but then, as I'm out in the parks with my dog, you get all the, the, the people with the knowledge coming up to help you. And most people are genuinely really nice. They're trying to be friendly. But, oh, that's a Doberman, a land shark. You need to watch. You need to be hard on them. You need to stay on top of them. And me not knowing, thinking, well, so far he's not been doing anything like that. You know, he's, he's just doing the same that other puppies do. But yeah. uh, even when he was a small puppy, you'd people not wanting their dogs to be near them. Right. And it, it, it kind of hurt a wee bit. But I was I, lucky that I ended up meeting a group of people at the local park and they they seen by them. They seen Kuro for what Kuro actually was. Just a big, fun-loving puppy that just wanted to meet and greet and do everything. And never, ever in the whole... At Kuro for four and a half years and no aggression problems oh, whatsoever. Yeah. That... If anything, <clears throat> my problem was the opposite. It was maybe confidence, uh, just building up his confidence. Yeah. He was a wee bit scared and stuff like that. So, so I went that, to. That's how you came to me at first when he was, because he was a wee bit, that was about, he was about five months and he was kind of spooky. Yes, I. A, a couple of things happened that never helped us. Like, we were at the park one night and uh, a dog that we ended up becoming super friendly with called Fudge. But we're in the dark, I'm out at night, just a late walk at night, and next minute we've got a Staffordshire coming at us through the darkness. And by this time, I didn't know enough about dogs and their body language and what they were coming. I've just seen a Staffy running towards us. So I sort of fell into that category. I judged that dog <laughs> because I didn't know. Yeah. And But he's came over and Fudge was really nice, but I got a little bit of fright. So my body's went up, I'm then into it and I'm trying to, but at the same time, my Kuro is squealing, you know, he's just got a squealing, not, not really bad. Both of us have got a fright, I nearly squealed myself, but then the owners came over, Hugh, and Hugh was one of the nicest guys and his dog Fudge was so friendly, but <coughs> that made me realise that there's something not right here. You know, I need to help, need to help my dog, we need to try something. So that was when they um, joined Puppy classes. I got the puppy classes through my like my vets. It came with a wee book. You got money off this and stuff yeah, off. Yeah. So we went to the Wizard of Paws. Uh, lovely, lovely people. Until I went in, and uh, not not judging the people there. Partly now looking back, it was a lot of my reactions as well. I was really nervous. Yeah. I went into the class. I knew Kuro was nervous. So as you know me now a little bit, I get there early. So I got there early with Kuro and we were the first people in. So as he wasn't then walking into yeah. a room full of dogs and it was too much for him to overwhelm them. And 
So we went in, done the first class, and I'm trying to familiarise them with it. This clicker training, I'd never heard of that in my life. But we'd been online and I'd looked and I'd seen the stuff about food and tug, and it really interested me. So I was trying to, basically teaching myself at the start, yeah. trying to teach a dog, but teach myself at the same time. And uh, so I was finding it quite hard. So went into the class, and then the uh, next minute, all the other dogs come in. And I was lucky. There was a wee, well, obviously all puppies, but then a wee puppies came in, came over to say hello to Kuro, and we had the old, uh, the old style school chairs. Uh-huh. So we're sitting in the chairs, and as the wee puppies come over to say hello, it never barked, it never done anything bad. Kuro was just bolted and hid behind my legs and below the chair. So I was kind of not sure what to do. And then the ladies came over. Oh, hello, nice to meet you. And speaking away about the dog. But then she started to see how like, shy Kuro was and started telling, asking me, have I found out about my dog? Did I do any reading into this? Dobermans are Velcro dogs. And I says, yes, I've, I've done this. I've looked into them. I've always... But then... Um, We'd all go up and do group sessions. She broke the class into two groups and Kuro just wasn't doing anything. There was too much going on in the environment for him. And if I'm honest, there was too much going on for me as well yeah. because I knew what was happening. So you've got two, two kind of beings here that are both yeah. in the same place. Yeah. And basically we get singled out in the class after that. Uh, everybody else had to do theirs in groups and me and Kuro had just to wait out the road. And then when everybody else was done... That made it even worse for me, if I'm honest. How did that make it? So there's a, there's a lot there to kind of to unpack. So you've got the we've got two learners. So you're learning how to do it, and Kuro's learning how to do it. And it's in an environment where neither of you feel particularly comfortable. Um, and no, and this is what happens with dog classes. And it's no, it's a it's a good model because it hits most of the dogs most of the time. But you've been one of the dogs that it's not hit. You know, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, so when, when you were then kind of singled out and, and moved to the side and asked, so there's a whole bunch of emotions going on there. How did you feel about that? Uh, a little bit embarrassed at the start, if I'm honest. Yeah. You know, because I'm thinking, have I done something to my dog? What's wrong with my dog? Because for me, when a dog comes, they're just a wee blank for the canvas as mm-hmm. such. Yeah, they come with their traits. But now I'm starting to think, is it what what have I done? Is he feeding off of me? And I, I knew I was a little nervous. I was already nervous when I went into the class, knowing what I was there to deal with. But then uh, after we get singled out, uh, it never helped me too much. But I have got that bit in me as well that I just say, right, come on then, let's get on with this. Aye. But it takes me a little bit to, there's that middle ground while you're, you're making yourself move over to getting on with it yeah. but I mean it, the lady was really nice and I understood why she singled us yeah. out yeah. I mean it was too much for Kuro when we were in the group he couldn't he wasn't he wasn't there I you know he, I, he couldn't yeah. do anything yeah. you know yeah. and I'll be honest I nearly nearly just left the class but the, that bit in me as well like yeah. no I'm not giving in I'm not giving up we will get somewhere and we, we did get somewhere in the end, but the more, if I'm honest, after we'd kind of been singled out, I'm kind of, you know, it's away in my head. It's away in my head now. And if I'd learned all the stuff I've learned since I started dog training, I would have totally tackled that differently. But but that's the... That's, that's, journey, isn't it? that's what we've learned, you know. Yeah. So, no, I mean, we got there a wee bit in the end, you know, but after that class, 
the lady even took me aside and says to me, like, um, I don't think group work is for you and your dog. You're going to need one-on-one training. And I thought, yes, for the first time, I'm agreeing with you today. (laughs) So that was when I just came home and I'm not lying, sat, not in the best of moods. Just thinking, what have I done? You know, is this, is this the right thing? You know, I've got a Doberman here and he's going to become a really big boy. But then uh, Google, and was living in Glasgow, typed in Glasgow dog. <laughs> and well, that's when you entered the picture. Okay. <laughs> so there, there's some stuff there. It's like that when, when people are saying that um, you see this stuff and, and, I, and we've had these discussions before over the last, and excuse me if I'm squinting while I'm talking, all right, I've pinched a nerve in my um, back. So I'm constantly fidgeting. If you see me making these funny faces when I'm talking to you, it's because I'm in a lot of pain. Um, Something to get the better of you at the gym. No, no, it's because we're, we're not allowed to spar yet, so I'm not oh, back. Right, okay. Yeah, we're still so still no contacts, um, no no contact um, classes. So I'm just doing conditioning just now, um, but I'm in the last week. I've just not slept well at all. So, um, so you, you'll have we've had these discussions before when you're you're talking about uh, you see all this stuff. Um, you mentioned it at the top when you started that everybody with a dog's got an opinion on how you should raise your dog, you know, same as yeah. everybody with a child has got an opinion about how you raise your child and you, the, the, the people that we should be looking at for both of these things is people that actually study it as their, their job and research it, you know, because they're the people that are they're, they're speaking to, it's not one person, it's 50,000, 100,000 people and collating data and all the rest of it. And one of the things that comes up is People will say like it's it's all in the, it's that it is your dog your puppy is that back blank slate, but they're not. So the, the puppy's been so the, you got him at eight weeks, eight weeks old, yeah. right? And then he's been um, it's a nine week or nine and a half week gestation for pups, all right? So there's developmental stuff going on, hormone influences and genetics all going on in the womb. What's going on with the mum? What's going on with the dad? What's going on with our ancestors? is all locked into those genes. Um, and then you get eight weeks at the breeder before they come. So it's not a blank slate, you know. And, uh-huh. and you got a, a puppy who was spooky. Well, when I did get him, obviously, I've taken him to the vets and he had a couple of wee rashes on him. And mm-hmm. they, the vet was saying that it possibly could have been from, like, his litter mates, like yeah. maybe, you know, like urine or something yeah, like yeah. that. So then they started to think that because he wasn't, you know, just maybe the way he was treated in, yeah. in his home. But when, when I went to pick him up, you know, I mean, I met the mum and uh, I still always remember it to this day. You're Obviously, you're looking for your dog in there, you know, your boy sort of thing. And I was looking about and you couldn't see him anywhere. And then she goes, I know what will work for him. And she shook the food bag. And here he came out the cage, strode right through and just walked right up and sat down. But no, I do get the vets thought that there was maybe something that had been happening Who knows? Pre- you know, previously. You but, know, but we I, don't know. And that means we can give ourselves a break, you know. Aye. Because uh, uh-huh. it wasn't anything that you'd done. Um, and then, so we, we arranged some sessions at parking. It was probably about five months at that time, wasn't it? Yes, aye, aye. Um, and, and I remember the first time, and he was, I mean, he was within the normal range of, of puppies for behaviour. He was in the, on the shy side of that, you know, so he would back off away from our dogs, but it didn't take him too long to come round. No, no, he soon found his rhythm, you know, yeah. I mean, I must admit. And it was a combination of more me learning to give him a, 
just to leap control. Yeah. Treats, giving the treats at the right time. But for, for me and Kuro, the biggest one was Tug. Absolutely for Tug. He just loved, I mean, he, I was lucky with his reinforcers. Each one kind of, each time could like trump the one previously, <laughs> nearly, if that makes any yeah. sense. I could jump from food to Tug to a ball and he would just do anything. But what I noticed with him, with Tug, and you've probably seen yourself, is uh, the world disappears when yeah. we are playing Tug. Yeah. It's just me and Kuro just giving the wee dance. But <laughs> what I did notice in the funny side is he would hear or sense dogs coming in, and when I'm playing Tug, you could see the eyes squinting round to the side <laughs> just so as you could see. But that was a big game-changer for us because after that, his confidence just grew and grew, like, and it still just kept going, you know. And why, why do you think that was through playing tug? Through playing tug, he wasn't worried about anything else in the environment. Yeah. Uh, just started. It was just me and dad, and for me, it was just me and my dog. He was confident in it. It was enjoyable for him. He, I think he was getting so much out of it because we. He would play tug with me anywhere because I've noticed sometimes uh, when I'm helping friends with their dogs that. The tug toy can just be dropped if, oh, wait a minute, I need to look over there. There's, there's something yeah. happening. But for me, anyway, it was it helped create a bond with us and it just gave him confidence in himself. He was wrestling me and managing to take me down. Look, I'm yeah. a wee... But that was what it was about. Eh? The tug game for us wasn't about beating each other. Yeah. It was a bit, of an, a bit of fun and teaching them and, and building them up from there. But all the different techniques, I mean... When I started doing the clicker training with you, I'll be honest, when you say the word antecedent, I'm like, I know, I, okay. I went away home and Googled it. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I've changed some of, my, some of how I teach since then, so. Oh, no, I, I don't know that way. It's no, 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 I know you didn't, I know. A um, totally new concept for me, as you yeah. can imagine, you know. But, it's, but, I mean, the, the purpose of, of these podcasts is to give people who are who are not dog trainers good, clean information on the science behind this. But And this is the problem. And I, I have changed it. I, I, I speak in plain language now. Um, and then if people are interested, what I will define what an antecedent is. So that's basically anything that happens prior to the behaviour. You know, um, but I see it with dog trainers online, um, and be, it's like bamboozling people with jargon, and it makes pe people sound as if they're dead. So you might know the, the terms, but if you can't apply them and don't know what they mean, you know. Uh, oh, I see. You were saying there about I'm playing tug, so there's, a, there's with you playing tug with them with them. So there's a, a few points that you you mentioned which I just want to expand on a little bit that you had. So he's playing tug with you and he's looking over to the side. So he's still got an awareness that those dogs are there, but he's choosing to play tug with you, which is lovely. And then the dogs that you're working with just now, when you start playing tug with them and another dog comes in, they drop that toy because what they're saying there is the dog is more important in that moment than, than the tug toy in the game with you. You know, yeah. and these are these are just it's questions to ask your dog, how comfortable are you, or what do you want to do here? And because you built that bond with Kuro and let him win, and that's the big thing, you know, is that he, and then he starts as he got older because he was a 
a big chunky dog, you know, um, oh, and and you're and you're not the biggest guy in the world. <laughs> no, we used to regularly we get called little and large, <laughs> <laughs> and I know what one out of that I was, sort of thing, you know. But I I don't mind all that. No, stuff, no, no, no. You know? Absolutely, and it, it's a it's a nice compliment about your about the duo, you know, and with. It, and it's the same as with Logan, and I mean, I mean, Logan's thirty-two kilos, and I'm about, I'm sitting about ninety or something just now. But he goes easy on me when he's playing, you know, uh-huh. and he does because of how he's built, uh, and I know that he does, uh, and because they can beat us, but a big dog can easily beat us at tug. They're much stronger than we are for their size, you know. Uh-huh. I was. He then starts once... going easy with you, you know, and it now becomes yeah. this really nice flow. Backwards. Sometimes dad's winning, sometimes I'm winning, sometimes dad's winning, sometimes I'm winning. You're going to say something there. Yeah, I was. Uh, I noticed that with Kuro one time. It was I was taking took the two dogs. My sister's got a Labrador, so I took the two of them to the caravan. And you know, the moments you get, I've got the ja- training jacket on with the two tug toys. <laughs> so I'm playing. I've got Arnie, my sister's lab, in one hand, and I know I'm just playing with Kuro in the other. And then he's kind of went, you'll be giving me your full attention. And he really started to tug. And I'm like, oh, right, okay. That was a lesson learned. You know, Kuro, it's just when you were on about the taking it easy on me. Yeah. That was one of the moments when I realised ah, he, he was good to me. Absolutely. <laughs> you know yeah. Because they, they get to know our, our limitations as well. And they go, you know, because they want the game to continue as well. Yeah. You know? And I see a lot of them were talking, I mentioned about sparring earlier on. When you get a really good game of tug with your dog, it's very like when I'm at the gym and I'm sparring with a good sparring partner. And the two of you are evenly matched. Sometimes you can score a point, sometimes he can score a point and you're 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 rolling and or he'll do something and you see it coming and you go, ha, no way, no way that happening. And I always <laughs> think that that's kind of like when your dog goes, oh, oh. <laughs> like, you know, because like, no, you're not doing yeah. that, dad, you know. Aye. It was really, it was really fun. It was really, really nice. Cool. So you then started. You got. I mean, you got into training in a big way then, didn't you? Oh, it just became a passion. I genuinely, really enjoyed it. But if I'm honest, it was more. It was the the people got to me a wee bit, like as in you've got a Doberman, you need to do this. You, you need, he needs to work, and that was the one of the first good bits of information I got off people, because I do understand about Dobermans and more, well, when I say that, more a working dog needs a job now, in my opinion. You need to give them something to do. I had a wee bit of trouble at the start with Kuro, with, with chewing stuff, getting in about, you know, but now I've realised why he was doing that, what his purpose was. And when we got into doing loads of training all the time, like I did tracking, we did obedience, he did protection work in the end. And when he came home after that, it was a bit like myself after a day's work. Yeah. I would come in, eat my dinner, and he would just jump up on the couch and it would be like four paws in the air. It was never any hassle. And for me, it was because I was working his brain. You were working his body and he was enjoying it. He was getting out with me. And most mornings, I'm lucky now in my job. I work four days and I get four days off. So Kuro had four days of just getting up in the morning with me. would do like training every morning, regardless of weather, anything. We would all be doing either tracking, some obedience or protection. Uh, 
if I'm honest, we probably work too much. As you know, as you've seen uh-huh. yourself, uh, <laughs> it, it, that was my biggest takeaway. <laughs> it was giving the dog a day off, you know, yeah. learning. But that's when it's a, when, I st- when you introduced me to a few books, told me to read like The Culture Clash and a few other books. The, the one for me was The Inside of a Dog. It's still been one of my favourite books yet. But uh, this will be my lack of knowledge showing up. When I started reading that book, I ended up having to go into Amazon and order a dictionary. There was so many, I mean, I think she's a scientist, Alexandria Horowitz, and she was just speaking about her dog, Pumpernickel, but the way she spoke about her dog and the way she was going, it really engrossed me and it got me into it. And the way she talked about, you know, the different parts of it and understanding them. And it just helped me so much. And that really got me into the training and met a few people through the Dobermans are quite a close-knit wee group online, you know, they sort of do look after each other. So I was lucky to meet uh, Amelia and then she invited me down to train and that was when we started doing like IPO or IPG and then that's when Okuro just came into his own. He was never, we were never going to be sports champions. We were there for the fun of it and genuinely for me, hand on heart, I did all that for the obedience and the enjoyment. I didn't want a Doberman running about parks, scaring people, because I don't want anything to happen to him. But it then became what we did together. It was something he enjoyed it. But from doing so much training and giving him like such a structure in his life, we then started, you know, we, you know, I like to go up the mountains in Scotland, up the Monroes, and he could just get freedom. Yeah. He'd freedom because of that. I mean, I, he was never on lead on the hills. Ever, that's a lie. The very start he was, but that was when we were near cliff edges and cliff faces and I'm standing there and I'm like, right, you're very good at it. But he was so, <laughs> so energetic. So, <laughs> yeah. So, but then I eventually realised that my dog was better in the hills than I was. <laughs> I was the one that would trip, but I would slip on this, but... No, so that's why the training helped us so much, just yeah. to give my dog the freedom that I think a dog should have. But I think a dog needs to earn that. Yeah. You know, a, a dog shouldn't just because... You get you get, like, yeah. yeah, you know, Kuro earned everything he ever got. His, his stimulus control became amazing. And I, I think we got a lot of that through the fundamentals I did with yourself at the start in the training. Yeah. You know, we had a solid base. And when I then went and started doing dog sports at a kind of, you know, a different level. He, he just got it. Yeah, we get excited. If I'm honest, I get more excited than he did sometimes. My trainer just used to look at me and think, oh, your dog's happy, but look at you. But but I had, I had bad days as well. You yeah. know, there was days where it never went right. And uh, that's when I, I learned about my... I'd always been thinking, I'm here to sort my dog's issues. You know, help my dog, treat my dog with this. But then I realised, doing the dog training, I've got a couple of issues myself that I need to iron <laughs> So that's when I started learning about like, my own frustrations. And because it was one day, just being honest, and after I met you, I, I, Kuro was really young. I, I hit him a couple of times, but nothing major. And I was caught in that that bubble of, you need to be on top of your dog, you need to do this. And then after I met you, my hand never touched him because I realised that, wow, this is actually working even better because my dog still likes me after I do this. 
yeah. you know. But then when I get caught up in the dog, when, when I get caught up, we both love the dog sports. But when I was doing the dog sports, same, probably ego a wee bit with me. You know, I started to get too caught up in it. I, for, I basically forgot why we were there a couple of times. Yeah. But then I realised in myself and I identified it. Like It was my frustrations. Why is my dog not doing this? Why is he doing that? Kuro was amazing. He yeah. was bossing most stuff. But any time he a wee silly error, I was quite hard on myself about it. And then me being hard on myself, that was transferring down to the dog. Yeah. So I started reading a wee bit more, but you know, look for myself to help myself. Like yeah. uh, for me personally, Jordan Peterson's been amazing. They mm-hmm. uh, just the way he speaks and the stuff. Some it's worked for me. I'm not saying it works for I know, everybody. We've had discussions about it. <laughs> aye, but then it's, it's no. It's, it's whatever works for you, pal. Aye, it's whatever. Yeah. And uh, from then on, I just started looking at things totally differently, learning to identify what was happening with me and yeah. where we were going wrong. Because the trainer, I mean, the the tra- oh, big man's on the move in the background there. <laughs> uh, the the trainer I worked with was amazing, like a uh, jock. Um, he just basically one of the days he turned around and says to me. Just see next week, Ernest. You just take Kuro up to the gate and just stick Kuro in because he listens to me better. And that was, but it was me that's when I was getting my frustrations. But Jock helped me with that. Jock says, Look, it's all right, calm down. And and after that, I've I never hit Kuro again after that. Never. And I'm so, it still breaks my heart a bit that I did when he was young. You know, it really does. I mean, it yeah. does. But I'm so proud and happy that. You know, through the positive reinforcement, we've moved on. But it, it's not just, it's not just helped my dog. It's helped me as well. Yeah. And now that now that I've got the old dude here, as you can see, hiding in the corner, he's been a different challenge. Yeah. But, but with what I've learned previously off Akuro, I'm learning just calm, just calm, just take it easy, and that now transfers into my dog as well. I, you know, he's saying, well, he's okay. Yeah. We're fine, sort of thing, you know. There's a few things there I just wanted to, uh, I'll, I'll ask, we'll, we'll chat a bit about. So, I'll, I'll, after you kind of, what I saw with your journey was, so you know the way that I train, right? And the folk that are new to this podcast listen to this, I'll only train, or I train using positive reinforcement as much as I possibly can. So, I don't correct dogs. If the dog is doing something that I don't like, I'll remove them from a situation and then work at, why is the dog doing what? And it's either dogs too wound up uh, or we're asking too much for them or they don't understand what we're asking, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So that, that's basically, they don't know what we're wanting to do. The motivation's not there to do it, all right? Or the motivation's there to do something else. So it's a problem with what we're asking the dog to do rather than the dog behavior, the dog's behavior themselves. Thanks again for listening to uh, this episode. Part two will be available uh, just momentarily, uh, so the two of them, will, I'm going to release both of them together. If you are so inclined, can you leave us a review on iTunes? If you're listening to on, uh, if you're listening to the podcast on iTunes, it helps us massively and it helps us get the word out. And um, you're also able to share your podcast, this podcast, from most smartphones. Um, and if you're so inclined, would you also do that, or could you also do that? Um, to anybody that you think might benefit from this or any of the other episodes. Massive thanks, and I'll catch you next time.